first thing, congratulations to Harding's football team, huh? Yeah, wasn't that great? That was awesome. Quite, quite the accomplishment. I think first team ever, any collegiate team at any level, uh, to go to a national championship and win it, uh, let alone. Uh, so that is exciting. I spent the morning yesterday rooting for the bison, and then in the afternoon I was rooting against the bison. That would be the North Dakota State bison who were playing my Montana Grizzlies uh, to get into the national championship and went into double overtime. So it was a bison, no bison uh, day yesterday. So... Anyway, but uh, we're coming to the end of our uh, Encounters with Jesus series, and in this series, it's been really good just to kind of follow Jesus along and, and get to different events and take a fresh look at him and find out what exactly was going on. And, 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 you know, and it's interesting that when you met Jesus, no one came around with just kind of a ho-hum perspective. I mean, the disciples, as they followed Jesus along, they were just learning things, growing, I mean, new things, things that were maybe embedded in their life that they're just going, wow, I never really thought of that before, and this is new, and so was this experience with them. And then people that didn't know him, once someone understood what Jesus was claiming about himself, it just didn't come away with that ho-hum attitude. They were either scared of him, uh, they hated him, or they worshipped him. There was one of those three, but no one came away with just kind of this indifferent, oh, gosh, he's a nice person. He's really inspiring. Uh, Boy, just being around Jesus just wants me to be a better version of myself. Uh, No one came away with that, you know, which is why I think trying to fit Jesus into our life, into our narrative, just having him come along and, and, and kind of bless my life doesn't work. And I can remember, and I'm sure in your story, you can remember a time when, when, it, when with increasing clarity, Jesus made himself known to you. And, and I've told this to the four, but I can't tell it enough that, man, I was, I was on a trajectory of just living for myself and the things that I thought I wanted. And I go to work on my uncle's ranch in the middle of nowhere, Montana, just thinking I'm going to put some hard work in in the summer. And I'm out there in the middle of nowhere on a big 18-foot swather cutting down alfalfa for the cattle you know, for a hard winter to come, and I'm just, you know, I couldn't get a radio station, so my aunt gave me Chuck Swindoll tapes, which is a preacher in Dallas, and at that, in California at that time, I didn't know really who he was, and he starts speaking, and he's convicting me left and right. I just pull back on the throttles and that swather, and I'm stopped. Here I am, in the middle of northern Montana, middle of nowhere, and I'm weeping, just weeping over my own sin, over what I knew I needed, and I came back changed so much so when I, when I came back and I went to the University of Montana that next fall, I was sharing my faith with anybody I could talk to, and they were like, man, what happened to you? Because whatever it is, we got to bottle it, because this, this has changed you, and if it changes you that much, then it's going to change us, you know, and so what we learn when we follow Jesus is that his ways are higher, his ways are truer, they're different than ours. And, and we learn that when we come to the passage today where the disciples are following along with Jesus and, and he comes across these two people. Uh, let me set you up the context that, that comes with this because Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. He knows where he's headed. He knows his death is intimate. And he tries to tell this to the disciples, but the disciples just aren't getting it. They're so enthralled and following him and, and what's been going on, that they're, they're, this is just kind of flying over their head. It's not even on their radar. And so they're just continuing to, 
to, to follow him and go, yeah, 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 okay, whatever. And, and so it, the, Jesus has these different people that are coming up to him. And, and one of the first ones you see before this context is that uh, they're bringing children to him, little infants. And, and the disciples begin to rebuke the parents and say, you can't bring this little child to him. We've got more important things to do. And, and they get rebuked. Jesus rebukes them for doing that and says, let the little children come. For this is the kingdom of God. You know, to become like a child, you know, and it's just a, it's one of those moments in the disciples' lives when they're like, going, whoa, okay, that's, that's different. You know, it, it reminds me, I think I've said this before, but Dwight Moody, who was a, a, a great evangelist in the 19th century, he tells a story, came back to his wife after he'd done a little small revival somewhere, comes back and his wife says, well, how did it go? And he goes, it was great. We saw two and a half people give their lives to Christ. And she says, oh, that's so sweet. There was a child that came to Christ? He said, no, there was two children and one adult. He said, because the children have their whole life ahead of them. The adult only has half of it left. And so he put a whole new spin on the fact that it's important that we, we invest in children and we invest in the next generation. And Jesus says, let them come. And as they go a little bit further, they come across this rich man. And, and this rich man... The rich ruler, it's called in the scripture, was probably the poster child of what all of anybody at that time would, would admire. He was rich. He was well-known. He was moral. He was a good family man. He did all these things, and he comes to Jesus and says, what must I do you know, to get into heaven? And, and he goes, well, well do, do these, don't do these different things. And, and, and he says, I've done all those since I was a youth. And then Jesus says something that uh, just makes him go away sad. And he says, you need, this person that everybody thought, this is the person that I would want to emulate. He knew in his heart that what he was really worshiping, his God was his money. And that was the thing that was interrupting him. And he said, you go take everything you have and sell it and give it to the poor. And the scripture says, he became very sad. So you lead up to that, and this is what the disciples are learning. And then it comes to these two outcasts that Jesus comes across, that Jim read about this morning. Two very different people from two different, very different economic levels. you got a beggar who has probably been begging with what most people think for 50-something years. He's been begging for 50-something years. He's been blind. He's been there. He's faced all the ostracism that comes from that the people that ignore him, everything. If you can just imagine doing that for 50 years. So he's been doing that for 50 years. He has a need, and you have a tax collector who is on the other side of the spectrum. He's about as wealthy as you can get. And we'll see, very despised, but wealthy. And so here you got two people on different sides of the spectrum, and Jesus enters into both of them and begins to speak to both of them. First, let's start with just the blind beggar. Now, what's great about each of the Gospels is that each of the Gospels brings in the, the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, inspires the personality of the Gospel writer, and so each Gospel kind of gives you a different look at the same thing. And, and so, for instance, when you look at Luke, Luke doesn't tell us the name of the blind man. He just said there was a blind man that came, and, but when you go to Mark, Mark identifies him. Mark says that his name is Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus. Which I'm like, well, that's great, because the guy does have a name, and it means that, that he's important. Matthew, on the other hand, gives us a little bit more insight. Matthew tells us there wasn't just one blind man, there were two. 
And both of them received their sight that day. And so it wasn't just Bartimaeus, there was another one with him. And, and, but all of them agree that what they began to cry out is they begin to cry out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on us. Now, what this shows you is that they knew that he was the Messiah. They already knew because that was something that they were expected for. From the time of the promise of David came along, they had been hoping and waiting for year after year after year of the Messiah that would come through the line of David, which is why Matthew in his gospel then, he begins begins his whole gospel with Jesus, son of Abraham, son of David, in other words, he wants you to know he, this is the one. He's come through the line. He's come through the line of David. And they both received their sight. Great day. Great day for them. And bigger than that, they both received a new heart. So they got their sight, which, you know, and they also got a new heart, and they began to follow Jesus. Then you come to Zacchaeus. And it's interesting. Luke is the only one who records this account. Luke's the only one of the four Gospels that talks about Zacchaeus. And it tells you right off the bat, he's a chief tax collector. Now, to say that a tax collector was unpopular would be an understatement. They were hated. They were considered as traitors and thieves. Now, the Romans had a very ingenious plan. They knew that any time they overcame and they conquered a people that they, want, they had a goal with those people, and that is they wanted to get rich off them. I mean, why else would you conquer someone unless you want to get, somehow you know, accumulate the wealth that they have? And so they wanted to get rich over the people. And so same way here. So, but they knew that the way to do that was to be to tax them. So they taxed them heavily. But they knew that if they put a Roman official in amongst the Jews... The Jews who didn't understand the society and didn't understand the culture, then the people could hide some of their money from them, and they wouldn't get it all. So say, for example, if you took someone from a different country and you brought them in here and, and they began to work for the government and they, with the IRS or whatever else, and they were saying, okay, what, what do you make? And they came across maybe a waitress, and they said, well, what is your pay? And so she gave them her base pay, but they didn't understand commission. And so they realized most of her money or his money is going to come from the commissions that he makes. And they would go, oh, well, they didn't even tax that. But no, if you take an insider like Zacchaeus, someone from among the people who knows what's going on, knows the culture, knows the ins and outs of it, then no money will be hidden. So they planted Zacchaeus, a Jewish person amongst the people, they would give him a Roman guard. So no one could mess with them because you'd have to deal with the Roman guard. So the Roman guard would be there, and the Roman guards would begin to help Zacchaeus do whatever he could. But here's what Zacchaeus would do. Zacchaeus, I mean, because of his greed, he would turn on anybody. I mean, he he would turn on his neighbor. He would turn on his grandma. He would turn on his favorite grade school teacher. He would, turn, he would turn on anybody he could because it was greed, because if he could get more out of you, because what the Romans would do is they would say, Zacchaeus, okay, here's the deal. Here's how much we want. Say, we want 10%. So they'll pay you 10%. Anything above that that you want, you can add on to it. As long as we get our 10%, you get the rest. So you can just see where then they would go, okay, we're going to do 20%, 25%. 
And so you can just imagine how his fellow people just despised him. I mean, just hated him. Because here he is on his own people. He's turning his back just because of his own greed. You can just imagine the cost. Now, this is what's interesting. The Jewish Mishnah, which is the ancient commentary on Jewish law. Okay, now they're sticklers, right, about Jewish law. They actually said, they wrote in it, that you could lie to a tax collector because a tax collector is an animal. And it is not a sin to lie against an animal. Now, how's that for twisting the law to your own advantage? And so listen, you can lie to him, you can do whatever. And so Zacchaeus is not only a tax collector, he's a chief tax collector. So he's other, over other tax collectors on a pyramid scheme. So he's just getting really rich of this, not to mention that Jericho is the richest city in Israel. Jericho is filthy rich because of its, both of its production and its exports of balsam, which then Zacchaeus would really be in on. And so Zacchaeus's in, his investment portfolio was huge. His stature, not so much so. The scripture says that he was small. In fact, this is a, well, I won't get to that yet, but I was asking Emily this week, I said, hey, you know, growing up in church, our, our children's uh, pastor, and I said, do you, do you remember that Zacchaeus song? Did you ever hear the Zacchaeus song? Zacchaeus was a wee little man, a wee little man was he. Did you ever hear that? And, I mean, and I said, there were, there were motions that went with it. And she goes, I don't think I got the motions. I said, yeah, yeah, he climbed up in a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. I'm like, man, that just came back. I hadn't heard that in, I don't know. 53 years, and it just came back, you know, that Zacchaeus was just this, this wee little guy, and she goes, no, I didn't really hear that part, she goes, but I found something on Instagram, and she sent it to me this week, and this is Zacchaeus's Christmas tree, <laughs> I don't know, I just got, a, I got, I thought that was hilarious, so, so, but here's what's funny, in contrast to the rich ruler who we just talked about, who went away sad, Zacchaeus is different. He's just, as, he's just as rich, but somehow in his wealth and in his loneliness, maybe he asked the deeper questions of life. So he runs up into a tree when Jesus is coming, as embarrassing as that would be. And Jesus invites him down, comes to his house, and, and Zacchaeus erupts in a radical generosity. And he says, half of my goods I'll give to the poor. And if I have cheated anyone, I'll give him four times that. You can just imagine. Meeting Jesus and following Jesus was not good for his portfolio. At least from a worldly standpoint. Half of it right away. And then you know he cheated a lot of people. And so four times, whatever I cheated you, I'll give you back. Everybody else is going, this is a great deal. For Zacchaeus, not so much. But you can tell he doesn't even care. You know, maybe you can relate. Maybe you've been wounded by others' comments of you, you know, over time. Maybe you can't even get beyond your own struggle with sin, and you wonder, you know, Jesus, maybe Jesus is what I've really been longing for all along. And so this morning, um, I want to do something a little different. I'm, I'm going to read a poem, 
written about a conversation between Zacchaeus and blind Bartimaeus. I came across this, and I thought, you know, this is just so good. A couple things I think, I believe it was John Piper who wrote this, and then I took the liberty of just adding some more to it um, and changing a couple things. I took some liberty on that. But I, I think what, what this does is this just kind of gives you from a, from a narrative, from a different perspective of what this would look like. And so you can just sit back here, uh, enjoy a somewhat dramatic reading of this poem. But here's the deal. There's two things you need to understand. When, because this is all centered in Jericho. When Joshua conquered Jericho, and we all know that story, if you've been around at all, right? They marched around it seven times and the walls fell. Joshua spoke a curse over Jericho. It's found in Joshua, and basically it says, if anybody tries to rebuild this city, it will cost them their sons. So, and that had just sat there. So meanwhile, 800 years goes by. Nobody wants to rebuild it for the very reason. There's, there's a curse on Jericho. So nobody wants to rebuild it. In 2 Kings, it speaks about a man that comes along named Hiel from Bethel. He rebuilds Jericho, and it cost him a couple of the sons, which shows you the truth of God's word and when it is spoken. But that'll play as we go through this poem just to understand that. So here it is. Zacchaeus sat down on the grass without a word. You know it's crass. To sit with beggars on the ground, the old man said, you might be found. Your clients might come by and think you've lost your job. They'd sing and drink. To that you know you take some raps. For sitting here, you care, perhaps? How'd you know it was me? Well, you smell like money, Zach, I see. With this, he pointed to his nose. Everybody smells that goes. To Jericho, I mean, you tell. The kind of person by his smell, right? Levites have a smell, and priests, and prostitutes, and all the beasts that ramble by my bed. It's true. And text collectors, too, like you, all have a smell. It's money, Zach, and nothing more. I smell the lack of everything but gold, the scent of wealth and nothing you were meant to be. Your poverty, old man, has made you bold. Nobody can berate a publican like that. Who's dime to lose? I've got the power to dip in any pot I please. And when your hand comes up, it comes up empty, and you sup alone and find your only friend, a beggar on the northern end of Jericho. It's been a long time, friend. Your voice is not so strong as it was then. How come you're low? For being blind, old man, you know an awful lot. I'm low because I'm damned. That's all. I know the laws of God. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not covet anything. I felt once, maybe twice in all my days, a moment free from greed. It pays. I said it pays when people scrape and bow before this Roman cape. I always wanted to be tall. Instead, I make others fall. If I cannot look down, you see, then they will look up at me. And did it work, Zacchaeus? Tell. Tell me, did it work? I'm sure they fell. Do you feel tall? I said, I'm doomed. I'm lost. The whole damn city's groomed. 
For hell, just like before, the curse of Joshua still lingers worse above the plains of Jericho than when he spoke it as a foe. After the walls came tumbling down, cursed be the man who builds this town, he said, who rises up and lays foundations in this place, will raise a tombstone for his sons. And so it came nine centuries ago. A man from Hiel, from Bethel, built the fallen Jericho and split the blood of Abram, his son. And I don't think the curse is done. Do you, old Bartimaeus, fears, blind, poor, a beggar for 50 years? You're jinxed, old man, just like me. You come from Jericho, a hopeless bum. Our mothers had a cursed womb. They bore us to a living tomb. Yours is as dark as night can be, and mine, all that look down on me. The beggar thought a while, then said, I think you would, if you would lift your head and look to God beyond the height of other men, there would be light. Beyond the tomb of your own greed, and God would take away the need. You feel to stand above the rest and pardon all that you've confessed. There's hope, Zacchaeus, then you know. The son of David can destroy the curse of Jericho. Zacchaeus smirked. God's no foe to me. You think he'd set me free? That I'll believe when you can see. Perhaps the God who heals the blind could make this callor miser kind. Just then Zacchaeus heard a crowd approaching from the north. It's loud. The beggar said, must be someone important. You had better run and find some other company to keep besides the likes of me. Farewell, Zacchaeus, and don't forget, beyond the height of men to set. Your gaze on God, he'll take the greed, and then with that, he'll take the need to be what you are not. And so Zacchaeus ran to Jericho and waited for the crowd inside. The city gate he sought to hide himself at first, but he couldn't see. And so Zacchaeus climbed a tree. And as he hunched down on the limb, he thought, what sort of stupid whim is this? A wealthy publican with Roman power? A gentleman with balconies where I can stand alone and look at the grand array of garden pools? And here I sit up in a tree? I fear my mind is getting weak. I spend the morning with the blind, a friend one minute to the beggar poor, and then I'm perched in a sycamore, just like a boy on a holiday who thinks the king is on his way. His thought was interrupted by the noise around the gate, but why, he wondered, did his heart beat like on a day of siege and strike the muscles of his chest and take his breath and make him shake? Then suddenly, the men stepped through the gate. Zacchaeus gasped, leaned in, almost lost his grip. For there stood Bartimaeus. Same white hair, same wrinkled face, same smile, but no more cedar cane. No one to show him where to go. The other man beside him watched the beggar scan the crowd. Then Bartimaeus spied him in this sycamore beside the road. 
He touched the stranger's hand and pointed just as they had planned. And Zacchaeus saw them come and heard the stranger say, I have a word here from your friend that if you came along and received my name and let me eat with you tonight, my name is Jesus. Is that right? Zacchaeus jumped down to the road. He felt as if an ancient load was lifted from his soul. The curse of Jericho destroyed. The purse of avarice turned upside down. He ran before them through the town. Just like a happy child, he spread before them all his food and said, If Bartimaeus can now see, I know there's power enough for me to give, me my, to give my money to the poor, and the rest I can be more sure of love and hope than if I built a thousand barns and bore the guilt. Of greed I give back fourfold the crooked debts I owe. My gold henceforth, Lord Jesus, is not mine, but shall be all my days a sign that God bent down when I was low and he came to me in Jericho. To which the Lord replied, Today I put salvation on display. The blind can see. The cursed are free. And now be what you were made to be. As the disciples followed Jesus and they watched these two events, things started to come in focus. They started to make just a little more sense. Perhaps Jesus didn't come to free us from the tyranny of Roman rule. Perhaps Zechariah was right and he came for a crown of jewels. Two outcasts, the blind man and the tax collector, Each had a great need. One was rather obvious. His eyes were opened and heart set free. The other was rather hidden to be set free from the shackles of greed. See, we easily overlook the Bartimaeuses in our midst. We walk right by those in our lives who long to see what we can see. All because our lives are too busy. Or we think that others are out of reach, too far gone, or maybe they have it all together. Yet Jesus showed us that the Zacchaeuses of the world are searching for what really matters. So Lord, open our eyes this Christmas time, and really all throughout the year, to faithfully proclaim your name in word and deed to all those who can hear. And all God's people said, Amen. Let's take it home. Worship team, you can come on up. You know, it's interesting that what is supposed to be the happiest season of all can sometimes be the hardest time of all. Maybe it's the first Christmas that you've been without a loved one. Or maybe just another Christmas that you still miss without a loved one. Or maybe it's family dysfunction, which seems to raise its ugly head this time of the year and become even more pronounced than maybe it would be at other times of the year. Maybe it's because it just seems to highlight the loneliness that that you have felt or the struggle that you're in. 
and, and loneliness just kind of strikes the heart. You know, and it's interesting that this simple answer is found in the one who came as the Prince of Peace, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the one who would take all our sin upon himself, just like he did with Zacchaeus and Bartimaeus, that he truly is the one who can set us free. And he calls to each of us. And he says, what is the reason? What is your reason for the season? Don't get lost on what this is trying to shout to us. The hope is in a Savior, not just in another thing that's new. The hope really is in him. And all that is true about him. And all God's people said, thanks for that country twang to a Christmas season. I felt like I was just in a CMA Christmas concert. <laughs> Woo! Go tell them. <laughs> Should have done that all the way. No, we don't want to be doing that. Uh, hey, uh, you, you know, I'm, I'm off now. Hey, if, you, uh, if there's anything that you would want prayer for, we would love uh, to pray for you. We'll be up front here. We have communion. Come take the Lord's table this morning. Um, but I, I would ask for prayer. Uh, my wife, Susan, is having major surgery tomorrow on her back. Uh, I think around 2 o'clock, so uh, they'll keep her overnight, and then we'll uh, hopefully recovery will be good, but uh, just if you can be praying for her, we would really appreciate that, and uh, you know what to do? Go love first. We love because he first loved us. First John four nineteen. Thanks for coming.